Welcome to the Bridge Builder Program, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, where we help you live your faith in the public arena. I'm Jason Atkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and joining me is our producer and Minnesota Catholic Conference Communications Manager, Kit Sapiniak. Hey, Kit. Hey, Jason. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. As you do every week, we're so glad to have all of our listeners and our viewers on YouTube. Remember, you can always catch the Bridge Builder Show right here every week on your favorite radio station, your favorite podcast app, or now you can always check us out behind the mics on our YouTube channel. If you ever miss an episode, go to mncatholic.org forward slash podcast. Jason, who are you speaking with in this week's episode? Well, we've got a really stimulating discussion ahead with Dr. Ulrich Lehner, who is a professor of theology at the University of Notre Dame. Dr. Lehner looked out at the political discourse and the landscape and said, we've got polarization and a lot of people thinking that reason in, and their feelings were interchangeable when in fact they weren't. So he wrote a book called Thinking Better, Unlocking the Power of Reason. So we're going to talk with him about that book, why he wrote it, and the implication it has for us in our uh, daily life, but also in terms of our public life as well. That's a great topic, you know, faith and reason. We know as Catholics that goes hand in hand. Even John Paul II wrote an encyclical, Fetus et Ratio, that faith and reason really together let us know who God is. So as you were saying, you know, a lot of people are kind of abandoning reality and reason for for feelings. So I'm sure it'll be a, a great topic. I can't wait to hear what he has to say. And remember, everyone, if you ever have an idea for a discussion topic, send that my way. Send me an email. The address is show at mncatholic.org. Or you can just leave us a comment on our YouTube channel or on social media. I'll be back at the end of the program with this week's action item. I am now joined by Dr. Ulrich Lehner. He is professor in the theology department at the University of Notre Dame, where he specializes in the history of Christianity. Dr. Lehner has edited and or authored 25 books, including the international bestseller, God is Not Nice, and the newly published book, Think Better. Dr. Lehner, it's great to have you on the Bridge Builder program today. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to meet you. What inspired you to write the book, Think Better? Three things inspired me to write it. The first one was the experience that last year or in 2020, our country became increasingly polarized and more and more people reverted to thought patterns that I, that I thought were not, what, were not rational on all sides of the polit- political spectrum. The second one, more important probably, I realized that among my students, many were struggling with the difference between feeling and reasoning. Students come up to you and say, I feel I should get an A. And I always say, well, it's nice that you feel that, that you feel confident. Now give me your reasons. That was the second. The third is more personal. One of my children was diagnosed with ADHD. And I thought, gosh, when I went through the questions, some of these questions um, I could answer for myself in the affirmative as well. So I decided to ask my psychologists or my children's psychologists to test me. And I found out I have ADHD, Hmm. um, quite a severe case. And that sent me on a a road to discovery. How can I be severely disadvantaged with my attention span? I was joking with my wife. She married a guy who listens worse than 95% of his age peers. Hmm. Not great. How can he write so many books? How can he be successful? And I found out it was an early engagement with philosophy that really saved my life. 
so you've said a little bit about some of the reasons that compelled you to write the book. What are some indicators that in the political culture, as you said, we're, we're seeing a polarized environment? What other indicators were you seeing out in the discourse that indicated that there were some problematic thought patterns that were emerging? I think the biggest problem is that we don't really have a discourse. We are in, in echo chambers and we have forgotten how to listen to people with different opinions, how to take their arguments seriously. And of course, many are not presenting arguments, but are just shouting statements, either feelings or whatever, and don't give motives, grounds for their thought patterns. And that's a a real problem. Because when I do that, when I don't engage with the voices of others, I'm not testing my own reasoning. And I easily get down a slippery slope. Do we need to train the mind like we train muscles? I think oftentimes people think that becoming intelligent or being an intelligent person is filling the brain with knowledge, but are there certain habits or virtues that we need at the intellectual level to think better? Absolutely. We have to develop good habits of uh, thinking. It's very similar to our bodies, very similar to, to other things we do in life, very similar to the moral life. We become virtuous people by acting virtuously. We become prudent by acting prudently, says Aristotle, and he's perfectly right. One of the biggest, most important habits is really discipline. Discipline in in your thinking. That does not only mean that you are focusing, which is not very easy for somebody who suffers from ADHD, as you can imagine, but there are certain tools, certain meditations that can help you focus. That's the first thing that you are not drifting away in your thoughts, but stay on target, whatever you're pursuing, and that you do that with a rigorous discipline. And I think that's what I sometimes see lacking. When we do that, we can be successful. I'm always telling my graduate students, there were plenty of people that were smarter than me in graduate school, but they didn't have the virtue of perseverance. They didn't have the the will to sink in their teeth into a text and not the will to sit for hours at a desk uh, or in a library. What are some other important habits that are key to thinking better? What kind of practical advice do you provide in the book in that regard? One of the greatest challenges sometimes is for people to say confidently that they are creative. Most often people would not uh, apply that label to themselves and thus they create stumbling blocks in their minds. There are ways of overcoming that, of confidently saying and stating that you are addressing problems from new angles, and therefore you can be a better coworker, a more productive entrepreneur, and so forth. So discovering creativity in yourself, discovering leadership qualities. Leadership has to do with good thinking and good thinking strategies, because you have to solve problems, and you have to show others how to solve them. Um, But I begin on a very rudimentary level that we should structure the world when we encounter it. We encounter the real world, and if we do so, we have to have certain categories. The classical philosophy that that Aristotle or Aquinas teaches are, are good guidelines. But in the book, I'm not talking a lot about other philosophers. I try to let you make the discoveries. How do you arrive at these principles and at these guiding posts? You mentioned people in leadership having to develop 
critical thinking skills because they have to be project managers. They have to explain processes and systems to others. And certainly in my experience, that is definitely the case that if you have to take on those roles and responsibilities, it forces you to think better as your book title says. But what other experiences or characteristics are there of people who, in your opinion, think better? From my own perspective, I find that people who grew up helping their parents in small businesses or on farms are the best thinkers generally because they had to solve practical problems at an early age. It wasn't those folks who were necessarily the most bookish at a young age, but people who had an early experience solving problems. And it seems that their brain synapses started connecting in ways that distinguish them from others. You're absolutely right. And I'm talking about that in the book. So for example, if you think about working on a farm, working working in a household, you suddenly are facing a, a practical problem. You, you find a solution. That's creativity. But if you ask the people who are solving that, they would hardly ever state that they are creative. And that's one of, one of the issues that sometimes uh, holds them back in living their full potential for in their job, in their, in their families, wherever they are placed. They have this creative potential and it's up to us to really unleash it. One of them is acknowledging it, acknowledging that you're able to do certain things. You mentioned practicality. If we are running away from a certain realism, from uh, encountering the world as it is, we are not really preparing ourselves to think better. I think that's a very important argument of the book. You call the, the other extreme bookish, perhaps rationalist or whatever you want to call it. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, very often we are escaping to a certain world of thoughts or daydreaming. And that's exactly what I don't want to do and don't encourage in the book. Good thinking prepares us to approach the world as it is and people as they are in a much more productive, in a much more appropriate way. So for example, if you think about persons that you encounter, we don't look at them as means to an end, but once we have acquired a, a sense that they have an inherent dignity, that we share the same common desires, basic needs, you have a better understanding of what they want to do, how to lead them, how to live with them. So society, as you mentioned, plays an important role. Empathy is a crucial uh, characteristic, I think, of a good leader. Another one is the ability to have realistic goals. Uh, very often, we are daydreaming, thinking about what we do when we win the lottery or uh, win the Nobel Prize or whatever. But we have to have realistic goals. And again, that goes back to that encounter with reality, a hands-on knowledge. It seems as though thinkers such as David Hume have left their mark on our society when he said reason is the slave to the passions. And to be authentic means to simply emote or say what you're thinking and feeling. And reason has been given a bad name as sort of inauthentic, artificial, you name it. But yet your argument is that we don't have a discourse today. And that might be a symptom of that. And that recognizing the dignity in others and, and empathizing and speaking with them in a constructive way actually requires that we recover reason. Is that a good sense of what you're trying to get at? Absolutely. You summarize the book uh, better than I do in, in those couple sentences. You've read it well. Uh, um, for example, empathy. Uh, empathy does not mean that you try to feel what the other one is feeling, but that you try to take the perspective of the other and be with the other person. So let's think about somebody who loses a loved one. 
you would not try to feel that pain, but you would try to be with that person, be a good companion and lose yourself in that moment of companionship. And only afterwards you reflect on that. And that makes us then the people we are. But that's a point of thinking. It's not as if you're emotion hunting, as if you have to try to feel what your, what your friend is feeling and so forth. The other part I think that you, that you rightly stated is the danger that our emotions or our feelings take the better of us. Reason is communicable to others. I give you my motives, my reasons for I'm, why I'm writing a book, why I'm in that position, uh, why I pursue academia or whatever. Um, and you can understand that. When we just state feelings, feelings are happening to us. You know, our hormones, uh, um, the sunlight, uh, Wisconsin, where I lived for 15 years, always sun deprived in the winter. Um, I think Minnesota is very similar. So it, all this influences our emotions, our emotional well-being. But when we state our feelings, they are not communicable in the same way as a rational motive that we are giving, because they are just lips in, in our uh, persona. So we need reasons to live in a society that is able to communicate. And I think if you switch on most mass media, one of the most disturbing things you realize is that people cannot talk with each other anymore because they are just stating their emotions. And don't get me wrong, emotions are very important. They make mm -hmm. us who we are, but they cannot replace reasoning. We are speaking with Dr. Ulrich Lehner. He is the author of Think Better, Unlocking the Power of Reason. Dr. Lehner, I want to see if there's a connection between your prior book, God is Not Nice. And, and what I was thinking about is that we understand in the prologue of the Gospel of John that, that you know, the word that God is logos. God is, he's an ordering principle. He orders through creation, through the word and creates an intelligibility in nature that can be known and ascertained by the into the human intellect created in the image and likeness of God. And so is there a connection between understanding God in this sort of moralistic, therapeutic, deistic sense, or God is a, a warm, fuzzy guy who affirms me when I need it, or he's just a mean rule, you know, taskmaster uh, on the other side of the equation? Is there a connection there between our understanding of God in, in sentimental terms and not as he reveals himself to be, and the fact that we think and act more in terms of our passions and sentiments instead of our reason? I absolutely think so. And that's why that was one of the main intentions for, for writing that book, because our churches really have to recover from false and wrong-handed catechesis. We talk too much about fuzzy feelings that we connect with God. One of the most striking lines I've read in C.S. Lewis, it might surprise you, is in Surprised by Joy, his autobiography. Um, as you might remember, he grew up in a very devout household and his parents taught him that you have to feel something when you pray. And he remarks, that is the best way of losing your faith. Hmm. And that's what happened to him because he thought, if I don't feel something, I've lost God, I give it up. And you have no idea how often I encountered the same argument, the same statement from students. They go through a crisis, uh, they lose a loved one, um, they have a, a, a terrible disease, also um, older people, and they give up praying. And it's the worst thing you can do. If you read Mother Teresa, in the darkness of her, of her life, or Teresa Flusier, you have to hold on 
to prayer, perseverance. Um, and that's ultimately reason that you're trying to hold on to what is good because evil is the absence of goodness. Evil is the rebellion against reason. So I think that's why it's important. The other aspect that I, that I realize in catechesis is that we are losing students, our children, not in high school, by then it's too late, but already in middle school. They are indoctrinated, if I may say that, with a relativism. They are taught, well, there are many different opinions. What your parents think is true is just their personal opinion. It's not objectively true. Soon afterwards, they encounter uh, in biology evolution, and suddenly they are faced with a conflict of bringing faith, uh, what they've learned about creation, about um, the creation of man and woman, into try to make it compatible with what they learn now in biology and social studies, and they can't. And of course, then sooner or later, that undermines their faith if they don't get answers. And I think that's a real problem because ultimately then they, they, they buy into a relativism, they give up the concept of truth. And if you give up that concept of truth, that truth is out there and that you desire to find it, you're replacing it with a whatever mentality. And that's the problem by high school and college. They think, well, you know, I, I, I pray to God, I go to church as long as it suits me, as long as it makes me feel happy. And if not, I'll just go to the gym instead. I get married and as long as we feel comfortable with each other, and then we look for a different partner if necessary. So truth is no longer there. Truth is no longer desired. It seems that you're getting at, I think, an important concept, which is the, the connection between truth, reason, and freedom. What is the church's role in that regard in terms of being a defender, not just an exponent of faith, but the defender of reason, whether that's within our own church and our Catholic schools and universities, but in the broader culture more generally? I think that the Catholic church is the, the, the sole institution right now that really defends reason. Um, which is really an irony in history because 150 years ago, um, many um, atheist skeptics would have uh, argued that the church is the seat of credulity or, you know, whatever the anti-Catholic prejudices uh, that existed at the time. The pontificate of, of Benedict XVI, uh, I think, nicely shows that um, the primacy of the Logos, that our faith is reasonable uh, that does not mean that we can comprehend every mystery. Obviously not, otherwise there wouldn't be mysteries. But they are not contrary to reason that um, the, the stories that we are um, believing, the accounts that we have, can be penetrated with reason and illumine our faith. And the church has to defend better in its institution freedom. But you can only do that if you do it with reason. Reason and faith go together. Reason and freedom need each other. If there is no reason, you ultimately give in to the perversion of freedom. For example, um, free decision, decisions entail that you're choosing certain actions, that you're choosing certain uh, experiments and so forth, and that you have reasons for them. Take rationality out and freedom becomes a synonym for being driven by emotions, being driven by passions, and we are nothing better than just animals. That's a real problem. 
Now, of course, Catholic ethical teaching insists that we have something like a natural law. I think that's one of the, the great strengths of, of Catholic teaching that we are believing our actions are reasonable, that reason should inform every one of our decisions. But unfortunately, we see that often on the mind in Catholic institutions as well. And we have, have to stand up to it. But we have to stand up to it with good arguments, again, informed by reason, not by, you know, Bible verses or just shouting our opinion. And I think that takes time, that takes patience. And I wish that our bishops would engage more in that preaching on reason and rationality. We talk in the church about formation, spiritual formation, theological formation, but there's also intellectual formation as well. And we t- we mentioned earlier and discussed the role of the intellectual virtues, but in terms of constructing mental models or formation, what role does that play? I, I talk about Catholic social teaching as a mental model through which we can look at and view social problems and social phenomena and filter that through the right prism. But in terms of thinking better, what does the role of finding good information and good principles so that you can, in fact, reason from principles and not just engage in sophistry? Right. Well, good thinking teaches us critical thinking. And critical thinking means being able to discern between what is good and what is bad, what is reliable and what is unreliable. It relies on analytical thinking, which means unraveling things, breaking them down into smaller digestible bites, and synthetic thinking, where we put these bites back together and create a new meal. Critical thinking does not mean that you have to find something negative in something, but that you are able to discern. That's what it really originally means from the Greek meaning of the word krinine. And that is very important in, in our society, in the church in particular, because very often we are taking things at face value, you know, from what uh, our favorite Catholic blog or our uh, favorite news source or whatever says. But once we are using critical thinking, we are putting it into a context, we are comparing it and come then, as you say, to our own principled decision. It also requires us to arrive at a certain humility. I have one chapter in there when it's better to shut up. And of course, that's a a virtue that professors especially have to learn because we tend to talk too much and, and you think we have to share our wisdom. But most often we should just step back and think, do I really know enough to say something about that, especially on Twitter or Facebook, social media? Uh, very often our first gut reaction is we, we tweet something, we, we, we make a comment, but perhaps it's better to just wait, read the information, arrive at, a, at true knowledge. Knowledge means that a more profound awareness of things, not a superficial summary of, of facts. And then perhaps we we form a a position of our own. I think it's actually a virtue of being silent. At times, at least, it does not mean that we shouldn't speak up, but uh, that we take, yeah, that we take time for our discernment. Is is good thinking and and the use of reason and unlocking the power of reason, is that just something that's uh, the privilege of the few who are intellectually gifted or is Um, good thinking, something that's open to everyone, that everyone can engage in? 
I think it's, it's something for everyone. It's not bookish at all. It has a practical, huge practical component. Let me put it this way. We encountering the world and we automatically put things into certain categories. Um, you know, for example, animate objects, animals that we encounter, inanimate objects, and so forth. Then we find adjectives, characteristics, and so forth. Um, if you are acquiring better thinking tools, it does not mean that you become the next Aristotle or the next David Hume, God forbid, but that you have the tools to productively encounter the world. And not just productively in, in the sense that utilitarian uh, meaning that you get most out of it, but yet you are conspiring with reality. And I mean conspiring in a good way, breathing with. You suddenly realize you're part of this creation, part of this reality, part of um, you know, the reason that made this world, and that you can encounter it and live with it and as it is given to you in, in stewardship uh, in the best ways. Another great practical application for proper reasoning is, for example, mental health. One of the most striking examples in the research of, for the book was for me that the most successful, at least what I've found from the literature in, in psychology, is uh, resting on good reasoning uh, in overcoming, for example, confidence problems, uh, depression, uh, anxiety issues, when things like, uh, I don't deserve to have a good job, I don't deserve to be happy, um, all those things weigh you down. And in, in rational emotive behavioral therapy, you are taught to rationally dispute those oppressing thoughts. And that has nothing to do with you know, reading complicated books about logic, but um, getting in touch with reality. That's really what thinking better is. And that kind of realism is what makes life worth living, what puts color in our, in our existence, and um, what leads us hopefully to heaven one day. And what a beautiful way to end this con just great conversation. Thinking better allows us to conspire with reality. That is, breathe with reality and make the world more real. Wonderful. Dr. Lehner, uh, Ulrich Lehner, author of both Think Better, Unlocking the Power of Reason and God is Not Nice. We are grateful that you joined us on the Bridge Builder program today. Where can people go to learn more about your books and your work? You can go either on Twitter can go to the website at the University of Notre Dame or Baker Academic Press for Think, uh, Think Better or Amazon. It was a pleasure to talk with you and uh, a pleasure to um, virtually talk to the Catholics in, in Minnesota. And if you have a second, say a prayer for me. Every teacher of, of theology and of the faith is always grateful for a prayer of um, Catholic camaraderie. And we will keep you in prayer. Dr. Ulrich Lehner, author of Think Better, Unlocking the Power of Reason. Thank you for joining us on the Bridge Builder program today. Thank you so much for being here. And we'll be back in a moment with our practical tip for the week. Welcome back to the Bridge Builder program where we help you connect your faith and public life. 
I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference. And now it's time to jump in to our practical tip of the week. Kit, what's up this week? Yeah, so as we just heard from Dr. Lehner about thinking better, we have something that's going to help you also converse better and dialogue better, helping you to really put the power of reason into practice. So mark your calendars for February 5th. We have a training called Equipped for Life, a fresh approach to conversations about abortion. There is an option. If you can't join us all day, you could just join us for the morning or just for the afternoon. It's going to equip you with the knowledge on how to respond to some of the most common pro-choice arguments and really to enter into dialogue and conversation and responding with truth and love. So the Catholic Conference is teaming up with the Archdiocese, but it is open to anyone statewide. So if you're hearing this, please come. The training is provided by Emily Albrecht with the Equal Rights Institute. I know some of our listeners will be familiar from one of our previous episodes. If you want to listen back, that episode was in August. You can find that on our podcast archive. So again, mark your calendars for Saturday, February 5th, and you can get your tickets today. That's at mncatholic.org forward slash equipped for life. You can find all the details by going to mncatholic.org forward slash equipped for life. You'll want to get your tickets today before we sell out. Thanks for joining us on The Bridge Builder today. We'll be back again next week with another great guest, a practical tip for you to live faith in public life. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference and for Kids of Pinyak. Thanks for listening and have a great day.